You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at Nomcast Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at Jokes on Drew. All right, the music you just heard is a brand new, currently unreleased track from Satanic Panic 81, a really cool 80s horror inspired solo effort from musician Brian Birdsey. I really dig SP-81 sound so much, and I was lucky enough to get Brian to talk with me for our episode today. It was really a great conversation full of so many things that I love, and hopefully you will love as well. I can almost guarantee it. The bulk of our talk is a full review, including some spoilers, of the Stephen King adaptation and Netflix original movie Gerald's Game which Brian is a big fan of. He's an avid King reader, a connoisseur of horror and thriller films, and an admirer of director Mike Flanagan's work. So we talk in incredible detail and insight on that one. We also talk about his work as a film composer, as he just wrapped his second feature-length score this year. And of course, we talk about everything to do with Satanic Panic 81. The influences, the process, and the new album, Mara, which is available for pre-order now and will be released to the world on October 2nd. Do yourself a favor and head over to satanicpanic81.com and put in for the pre-order by his previous album, The Sacrifice Hunter. It's so good. Get some merch. Do it all. Just support this man so he can keep making killer records all right and also if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review this podcast the nomcast on apple spotify or wherever you're listening to us right now if anything good comes from 2020 we would like to be the go-to number one netflix podcast out there so i would really appreciate you doing that And I appreciate you listening to this right now. So let's get to it. Here it is, my conversation with the very talented Brian Birdsey of Satanic Panic 81, including our review of 2017's Gerald's Game. Give a listen. All right, on the line, a musician, film composer, and burgeoning sportscaster, I recently (laughs) found out. Uh, He is here to promote his band, Satanic Panic 81's new album, Mara. How are you, sir? Brian Birdsey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm doing good. I'm sweating because I'm so nervous. (laughs) Yes, of course. 
Uh, well, I mean, listen, we're about to get hit with a tropical storm or whatever we're going to get nailed with. So I think everyone literally at this moment is a collective sweat in Connecticut. So right. I appreciate you taking the time uh, for coming through here. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, man. I, I dig this. I'm happy you were able to come on. Uh, you know, ever since, you know, Sacrifice Hunter, uh, I know it's something we have in common is we both know Scary Larry Dwyer, uh, you know, obviously he's been on this podcast a couple times, you know, for everyone who knows Scary Larry, he is the horror man in Connecticut as well as former hate breed and everything else. Uh, you know, great guy. Good, and, the and, best, the best. And he is the lead of your of the sacrifice hunter which i'm a proud owner of myself uh your last album i am a servant to my master far beyond your few understanding you cannot comprehend the power that holds over me in my devotion to values i am not of this earth uh and it's terrific and i love uh, you know the fact that i get to kind of meld those two worlds getting to hear larry and getting to hear your your music it's awesome oh thank you so much for the support it really means a lot to me yeah i mean like i said sacrifice hunter is a great album uh, <laughs> is larry on mara as well should i be expecting any cameos <laughs> that is gonna blow my mind this time no no he you know i uh i i with, I took to sending him a lot of the music as I was writing it and stuff just to get his because I, I I love Larry he's you know when my wife and I moved here like three and a half years ago or so uh, we went to um, one of the cult classic double features uh, it was for Evil Dead and yeah, big fan he <laughs> and he and I, I had talked to him online a little bit before that not even putting two and two together that he's Larry from Hatebreed he's under the knife Larry. And I love Hatebreed so much. Oh my god, especially the Under the Knife seven inch. It's so good. But he, I, I had sent him after after, you know, meeting him and stuff. I, I had sent him our demo, and he was like, "Whoa, this is cool." Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, sure that he did right I'm, up Larry's alley. And I'm sure he didn't sound like butthead when he said it. I, that's just how <laughs> I talk. But yeah, uh, yeah so he. And then you know I reached out to him to to get a little help because because I wanted to involve him because he's so supportive and so cool and uh, and then I was sending him songs for Mara and <laughs> he's like let me know if you need any cameos I'm uh, I'm good to go and I just I just didn't need a male voice in this one otherwise right. it would have totally been him I it would have been great so but I will I am gonna ask him to do it again because I had it, it was fun to have him be a part of the first one and. Right. Uh, and it's obviously it's always fun to like shoot the shit with him and talk to him and stuff like that. He's 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 amazing. I love him and his he's got you know a lovely wife and he's got two great kids. So um, just seeing him like at the cult classic stuff, it always makes me smile because he you can just tell how much fun he's having even during the giveaways like talking shit to people and stuff. It's so great. It's so awesome. Oh yeah, totally. I, I love very and and, and uh, little known fact. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but. Uh, the way I actually got introduced to Larry is that his wife worked with my wife and I knew him from other stuff too, but I didn't know he was that guy. I didn't know he was that Larry. Right. And then, uh, so I met him at a wedding and I was like, get the fuck out of here. You're in hate Bree. Like, who? oh my God. And then it like all clicked. And then we just talked all night and then, yeah, we, we were friends since then. So it's kind of fun. Oh, it's great. Uh, I mean, it's great to talk to him about like horror and stuff too, because like he... 
you know, there's some movies that he's seen that I, I haven't seen yet. And we, and then like, I got a couple, like I, I told him, you know, before the pandemic and everything, like, uh, Hey, you should do nightmare beach for like a summer, like drive-in type of thing. And he's like, yeah, nightmare beach, nightmare beach. I don't think I've seen that one. I'm like, yes, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I thought I was so cool the way I grew up, uh, you know, watching movies like the prowler or maniac. Oh or yeah. Yeah. Those things growing up. You think you're like the coolest kid and you're like the only people who watch these things. And then you grow up and it became like, Oh, so many of my friends were that kid too. And then you kind of all bond over it. But like Larry is that on steroids. Sure. Um, but the beauty of having that background that I did is that your music fits right in with all those things that, you know, made an, you know, eight to 13 year old Andrew really, really happy. So, you know, because you would describe, I think, your music as American Horror Wave, I believe, on your website. Like, is that yes. kind of how you would get there? Because to me, obviously, as a, I will say, as, you know, a novice in terms of that scene as like an actual genre outside of like 80s film mm -hmm. knowledge or 70s and 80s film i would i, I hear john carpenter obviously you're gonna mm -hmm. hear that a lot and i'm sure you do i uh you know and you had mentioned uh slasher film festival strategy too uh as like a comparison thing which i hadn't heard them and i listened and i was like oh this is interesting too Another he's so cool, good isn't he and, like he's so it, it's incredible. very good yeah and to have it that far back i believe they were from like 97 up or something like that it's interesting to see where that crossover was but i also uh you know <laughs> as a as a child of the 80s too like tangerine dream so good to always come up to as well in terms of that kind of i don't know because they've they did not always horror like uh you know to me uh sorcerer is like a great soundtrack they, a great film they, they did, did legend too right am i wrong yeah, they did okay yeah, yeah. Did. so but so the reason I, I i say american horror wave and this is like not a knock on people who do other things because there are so many good uh like retro wave and electronic wave electronic wave that's not even a thing but ele like electro artists out there um right. but a lot of the songs that they make sound very like Tronish, Miami Vice-ish. And I'm not <laughs> yeah. and I'm not putting them down because they're just making what they feel. And I'm and I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but that's just not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to make suspense and they are they are making music where they can like that sounds really, really cool to like play race car driving games with and or drive really fast on a highway with. Like that and that's awesome. Cause I put those songs on when I <laughs> when I draw, so I don't know. <laughs> for for a little while, I lived down in actually when when um, when Bruce and I had started this project, um, I was living in Mississippi for a little while, and I was living in Biloxi. And there's this like main road that if you're if you're you could take it and kind of basically go all the way to New Orleans from there. And oh, so I, I would drive there at night, and like it kind of looked very like. It looked like a video game, the way the lights were set up, the way the, the highway kind of splits. And I would be listening to like Calm Trues and all that stuff like when I was doing that because I, sure. I get why they were doing it. And driving my shitty little Volkswagen, you know, like, <laughs> right. but like feeling it. And, but that's just not what, that's not the kind of music that I wanted to make. So Amer I, I, I don't know if Horror Wave is a genre and, and I cannot 
possibly be the first person to um, use that word, but right. uh, that's what came to mind for me, and I wanted to do. Uh, I and I don't, the American part is just not American exceptionalism or anything. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of American Nightmare, and I wanted to have American in there just because I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it would be cool. So there's always there, even even though this is the furthest thing from like hardcore, I oh I wanted to connect it to hardcore as as much as i can so like using larry not using it but asking larry to do a song sure. uh that was that's part of it uh we did a track with nate from boy sets fire uh, a ramones cover which was a lot of fun I, I couldn't believe that he said yes to it and then i couldn't believe that he didn't ask me like to pay him or anything like he was just totally <laughs> cool about doing it so yeah it's awesome so yeah i mean that and that's the way that we've kind of wanted to keep it and then even after you know bruce and i like split up and it's just me now i still want to keep it grounded in hardcore as much as as i can because hardcore is the way i see the world and it's the way i react to the world and the way i interpret things and i don't ever want to lose that because it's definitely shaped who i am and i think a lot of the good decisions that i make came from that community like, right. and I'm not just talking about good decisions in music. I mean, I don't even know if I've made any good decisions in music yet, but <laughs> the good decisions in life and just like trying to be a good person, hardcore has done a lot for me in that regard. And I just want to, sure. you know, keep my hooks in that for as long as possible. I will go to the grave probably with a mad ball shirt on, which is fine. <laughs> so I hear you, man. Cause trust me, I've seen mad ball many times. Uh, and, and, I've seen them with Sick of It All, which was like a mayhem show that I will never forget. Oh, uh, so back in the L and G days and everything else, uh, it's it's that's deep in my heart too, man. So I appreciate that. So amazing. So with all that said, though, then to make this type of music, what would you say your main influences were? Like, is it Carpenter? Is it like that obvious on the nose, or is it something something else? in that era or or were other people making that type of music that you got drawn into how does that work um well i mean i can't not say carpenter i it certainly um assault on precinct 13 had a very huge effect on me growing up i thought i still think it's his best movie right and the the theme for that is so good and i i, I really really love it um I, i'm hoping one day that i can like if i you know, I plan on, on on taking this and doing like some live shows with it, and I would love to do a cover of that. But there's other ones too. Um, Maniac is one of them. Uh, let me see. I, you know, I grew up. I grew up in Jersey, and I uh, the area that I grew up in um, was where they filmed the original Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, interesting. And so the Friday the Thirteenth, all of them. I love, they're all my children and <laughs> I love the scores for that. Right. I still, and I still do. I'm, I'm still amazed by, I actually, when I went, when, when I was driving, so I drove from Connecticut to Jersey to my friend Jake's to mix the sacrifice hunter and right. the entire way I listened to three cause I got stuck in a ton of traffic. I listened to three Friday the 13th soundtracks and they weren't even the. It wasn't the first one or the second one. It was like the third, fourth, and fifth one. I listened to them back to back to back, and then I listened right. to uh, Nine Inch Nails' "Pretty Hate Machine." And <laughs> yeah. As I was pulling up, I was listening to Nine Inch Nails. So, 
um, yeah, that's basically, you know, in a nutshell. I'm trying to think of other ones that were. I mean, the Hellraiser one is great. Uh, Night of the Living Dead is is a huge, uh, is very very important to me. Day of the Dead is very important to me as far as the music goes, especially that right. that intro. Big fan of like the you know and and then there's the the big Hollywood stuff that I like a lot too, which is like um, Jurassic Park, fantastic yeah. score. Of course, the yeah. Termi- the Terminator, Fright Night, all that stuff. Like it's so good. It's all so good. So. You know, it took, I don't know the timeline for you in terms of when you were either planning an album in the demo stage for whatever you were doing as far as a band was concerned versus doing scores for film itself. Like, so I know you had worked on uh, the Amityville. Evil Never Dies. Evil Never Dies. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And, you know, so you had that under your belt. It seems like you worked on short films where you contributed as well. Mm-hmm. Where where does that fit in? And was this kind of like the strategy the whole time? Because obviously, if your influences are movie based and you know you're you're starting a band, is it something to where you're making albums to try to feed or use as like a collection to show people that you can do this type of music to, for their movies? Like, is it, is, a, is it a resume piece? Or is it something that you just want to, you know, have out there and then the film thing is a s- totally separate thing? I don't know that when when we had started this, I don't, yeah, I can't recall what our plan was. I think our plan was to just make a demo. And then once we got the demo made, I started, you know, I, I, um, I, sent, a, I sent the songs over to Dustin Ferguson. He's the one who directed Amityville. And I sent them over to Brad Twig because I, I met him at a horror convention in Virginia and he seemed like okay. a really nice guy. And I, I watched a couple of his films and they're like super gory and there's he's, he casts a lot of porn stars and stuff in them. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, we there was some there was some interest there and it was it was a lot of shorts. And right. there was um and then I think a lot of their plans changed. I know for one, Dustin was doing most of his filming because he, he's a Nebraska native. So he okay. was doing a lot of his filming out there. And then he ended up, he had a lot of plans to do some films. And then he basically just kind of said, fuck it and moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. And uh, I think, and he's still making like penny pincher type films. Right, which is you know great, but uh, he and I have not worked together since, and I don't think it has anything. I hope it has nothing to do with any. We never had a relationship problem. We, he, I was supposed to sure. do. He was supposed to do it like a giallo type of film, and I was really excited to score that for him. And he still has not done it. So maybe that oh, one has gotten like the back burner because he's doing other film projects. So, sure. um. And, you know, in Los Angeles, uh, people are a lot, you know, well-networked. Some guy could come up oh, to him and yeah. be like, hey, I can do the score for you. And, if, you know, it's harder to say no to someone's face than it is to say no to on the internet. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, And absolutely. then as far as Brad goes, um, I don't really even know what what he's what he's been up to. But, you know, what, what ended up happening really was, you know, we did the demo and then we cut some songs for some short films and you know we're do- we don't even know what we're doing we're basically just making it up as we go and right. then we're like okay well let's do an album and like yeah, really cool packaging and and make it fun 
and then we'll see what happens. And we did the album and we showed up at uh, one of the cult classics things and we had sold out of the copies. So all we had was posters and Curtis Spieler picked up a poster and then contacted us about doing the score for uh, the dead girl in apartment three. And we were just kind of like, you know, waiting on, I I met with him and I watched the film with him and took notes and, you know, talked to him about what he wanted. And then by the time I, I was, you know, we were, it was time to write the stuff. uh, Bruce and I had parted ways. And gotcha. so it was just me sitting in my office in the, I think it was the middle of the summer for like three, four or five hours at a, you know, at a, at a clip and just watching the film and trying to score along with it. And then I just, I was twice, it's 21 tracks. I think it took me like two and a half, three weeks. I did a little bit of mastering and stuff. We had actually a lot of, I had a lot of problems writing the theme the theme was the first mm. thing I worked on and it was like I think I sent him like two like two ideas and he was like nah <laughs> and then and then I finally sent the third one and it was like I it was like a I what I thought initially was like a dumb song and then it I I built a little bit around it and it turned out to be pretty cool and yeah. he was like okay yeah this is it and then once he said okay cool you're good to go and then I just went and I you know, and then from there, I was able to um, score the whole thing and send it to him, and he and he seemed to be really happy with it. So, um, and that eventually will come out once the film comes out. I'm not. I'm. I know he's trying to shop it around and do the whole festival thing and stuff like that. So we're just uh, we're just waiting on that, but it should be you know should be out soon, hopefully. Yeah, I mean the film industry is in extreme flux right now, it's so I don't blame weird, anything. <laughs> it's such a weird thing, but I can tell you that. I don't, have you seen any of his other films? I uh, haven't. I saw that one was on Amazon Prime, uh, so I, I have it on my watch list, but I haven't gotten there yet. Devil's Well is cool. Sheepskin's pretty cool. I think Sheepskin was the one that's on my watch list. Yeah, but this new one super good like there are genuinely scary moments in it and he didn't even send me like the the full sound cut is there's right. a lot of like sound that's missing that that you know they need to take care of later and there was like so there's there's genuinely frightening moments in this one so i think awesome people are gonna watch this and they're and he's gonna have such a good like flux of positivity come his way and i'm super excited for him because it's a great film and i was i'm very very honored to have been a part of it he's a very nice guy i met him at larry's connecticut co classic events as well uh he's super approachable very knowledgeable very good hang so i i hope the best for both of you going forward with the project of course i hope all the success happens for you guys uh, couldn't happen to a better deal that's how that's how we originally you and i started talking i was trying to get you both on i was right, like yeah right. i was like yeah this is gonna be great because you guys got the movie coming out like we'll try kind of maybe give like a pre-pitch to that get people excited whatever and then of course that was pre-pandemic and then here we are and uh you know but at least it's nice that you do get to do the album. I, I you had mentioned like you want to kind of maybe do a live event experience with it. I, I was curious about that because I didn't know if I didn't see like a you know which obviously right now 
nobody does but i didn't see like say like a show date section of like your website or anything so i was like oh is there a live component to something like this is it something that you maybe even bring visuals to i don't know how you would do such a thing so i'm i'm interested well yeah so we um there the fellow that played bass on a lot of the songs on this album his name is tom mcgreevy he and i were actually in a band together for a while and um can i tell you before you get moving I saw in your in your notes the the band name Police Navidad made me laugh so hard, <laughs> and I want everything for them to happen. I because I, I just love that name so much, I couldn't stop laughing. He's yeah, it, and they're really really good too. Yeah, um, I listened to them on Spotify because I was like, oh my god, I have to hear everything now. <laughs> and he yeah, so he's a total trooper, and he's like a, a he's a good studio musician too. Like he can he can nail it in like one or two takes and he's in he's set so nice. that was important to me because i mean i didn't have to pay for a studio i did it here um but like i still you know we're on a time crunch because he drove down from jersey we basically only had like a half a day right. uh to do it and he knocked the whole thing out in one night and then we were having beers downstairs listening to records so beautiful which is awesome so he you know but but that was i had wanted to bring him in for a for a long time and then um it the opportunity just presented themselves with this song with these songs and he was like super into them so you know once once we do start like tommy will be part of the live experience and then my friend jake uh who's like a multi-instrumentalist he's so talented he's gonna play drums and uh it's which is gonna be a challenge for him because he's really really good at drums like with fills and everything and i don't have a lot of fills so he's gonna have to fight the urge which is (laughs) i'm gonna look back at his face and it's just gonna be like scrunched up like just trying to not do it (laughs) which i can't wait and then you know i gotta you know i i I mean i'll probably ask i don't know if he'd be down for it but i'd probably ask larry to if he wants to play guitar or like you know stand in every once in a while play guitar my friend paul um, he's he plays in a band called Hundreds of AU, and they're they're are they're amazing. They're probably one of my favorite bands right now. And uh, he played guitar. Yeah, he played guitar on one of the songs. So he's another one too. Like he's just been super supportive. So yeah, from the couple of tracks that you sent me, uh, I was very impressed with the uh, the stuff outside of yourself, or what I assume to be outside of yourself. Uh, you know, in terms of like beefing up some of the more standard instrumentation versus say obviously the synth or like electronic uh backbeats and and devices with that uh you know where it made it really beef it up in spots and really give it some drive in some spots that i really liked yeah i wanted i wanted a warmer sound than on the last one because when bruce and i made the last album we didn't we we did it all in logic but we right. didn't really use any effects. We just, we, we basically just used like raw, like the raw instrumentation that was, that Logic provided. Right. And then in this one, like, <laughs> like we, we brought it to mix. <laughs> we brought it to Jake to mix and he's like, oh, cool. So you guys like EQ'd it and compressed it. And we're like, what now? Like we had no, <laughs> like it just wasn't, you know, it, we're just figuring it out as we go. And yeah. then. And now with this one, like, you know, we messed with the EQ and we messed with the compression and like I bounced a lot of ideas off of Jake and I bounced a lot of ideas off of another um, horror wave musician named Matt Akers from Detroit. And um, 
or Michigan. He's not from Detroit. I think he's, I think he's near Detroit, but, um, so we were just, you know, I was using all of my resources and my friends to like, uh, you know, help me out and tell me what they thought and stuff. And, uh, I also took my time on this. Like we wrote and nailed down sacrifice hunter in like a month and a half. Oh, wow. Uh, this took me almost a year to get fully together. Interesting. Yeah. Now, so I noticed with the Sacrifice Hunter, especially with, you know, how it leads with Larry and everything else and and, and how you describe the albums, uh, especially like you sent me in the notes for Mara, like that, you know, it, these even though you're, you know, it's not a lyrical album, it, it's a certain mood, it's atmosphere, it's everything in terms of that, but yet you have a storyline for these albums like it, it, you have like a, a vision to these that it's you know like like obviously you know mar is like kind of like a revenge plot mm-hmm. i believe you noted so mm-hmm. h- how do those things work into your brain in terms of writing the songs writing the music like because you know outside of that i mean mainstream artists have tried to do almost like story albums or like concept albums albums. yeah right concept albums and and i don't know if that is involved for you or or how that works in terms of how you break down even just the song orders or anything else like what picture you're trying to paint with the albums how do you do that between either sacrifice hunter or obviously now with the new album um that's a good question so all right so with the sacrifice hunter (laughs) every director like especially in the 80s and stuff like when they first got started out they made a slasher because it was really cheap and you could with a couple of good kills you made a good slasher Um, with the exception of like halloween which is like a piece of art um and you like compare that to something like friday the 13th which again all the friday the 13th are my children but there's no comparison halloween's an amazing movie Oh uh, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth just has some wild kills. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cunningham wasn't he a porn director before? Yeah, he started him, making him Friday and the Thirteenth, him and Wes Craven. Um, oh, I didn't know that. About oh Craven. yeah, they, that's a cool nugget. <laughs> they did like a, they did like some softcore porn together. I think like they no di- shit. Yeah, they were. Wow. I th- they were. I think they were. I don't think they directed it together. I think like one was the producer and one was the director. But um, uh, so yeah, so then I wanted to get away from like a slasher thing because I was like, okay, well do I do a space movie now? No, it's too (laughs) obvious. And then, so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna write some songs and, you know, just see where the mood takes me. And all, so the first song on side two is a song called mercy. And, Mm. um, it, (laughs) The story behind that, and I'm not really ashamed of it, is one day I was at work and they always have like classic rock, like classic rock, classic pop radio on. And right. I heard Caribbean Queen by, uh, what's his name? Love Billy, it. Billy, Billy Ocean. Ocean, baby. So yeah, I, my favorite ocean. It should be everyone's favorite ocean. <laughs> so like that, but that beat, like that, just the, the tempo, I was like, this is kind of a groovy thing. So oh, I, yeah. so I, I went home, it was a Friday and I went home. And I was like, what's the tempo of Caribbean Queen? (laughs) And so I got the tempo and I basically put the snares where they were. And then I just improvised my own uh, kick hits. Oh, that's perfect. And then, (laughs) and then the baseline I wrote for it was kind of like a, 
I don't want to say like stripper because it's not, but like more of like a <laughs> more of like a nightclub burlesque sort okay. of sound to it. Like, but like like red light district sort of thing. Yeah, uh, something that you would see at like an after party at like three a.m. in like Germany or something, or at least <laughs> what I imagine you would see there. Sure. And um, and we've so, all been there. And so I had that. I was like, okay, like this is this could be the foundation for what I do next. And then like. I just kind of like was like, oh man, like you know, the Me Too movement is happening, which is important to me. Yeah. Um, and so maybe I should make the lead like a female lead and not in a final girl to- sort of way, like right. not 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 real. Like maybe she starts out sort of like a damsel in distress, and this is not the way it ended up, but like at the end becomes like. You know, or but before the end becomes like this, like tough chick, and then I was yeah. like, ah, uh, yeah, but that would I'm like, and I started like, ah, uh, it's too close to like the way a slasher pans out. What if it's a revenge movie? And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I started to think of the crow, and I was mm. like, hmm, like if this, it, basically we can make it be like the crow, but if the crow was a girl instead of Brandon Lee, rest in peace. Right. So I did, I you know, I I did that, and I was like. But I want it to be, like I don't want it to be like this like like as because com- com- Crow is a very comic booky movie. I wanted yeah. it to be like like uh, Goth Girl goes out and gets revenge. Yeah, <laughs> because like I mean I've always kind of I've, I've always been into like goth music, but I haven't really and I don't really I don't paint my fingernails or anything like that. But I do wear all black and I do listen to Sisters of Mercy a lot. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um. I and it and that's kind of it just kind of moved into my style goth became like my speed you know you listen to enough joy division and you start to think that the world sucks and it does sure so yeah evident the evidence is outside the door right now. But, <laughs> it is uh, I so, believe you I can't leave it right <laughs> you're just gonna have to take my word right but yeah, yeah exactly. so so yeah and then and then that's just how it formulated and so Okay, now I got this, you know, I got like three or four songs and uh, all right, now I know exactly how I had one of them that was the ending and we or like what well, was going to be one of the one either the last song or the second to last song. And right. then I had one that was going and and I actually I had I had both of them and they it turned out that we we flipped them. But it's it and it worked out fine. But then um, you know, a couple other things I had to like fill in. So I there's one song where I had to like I wanted it to build a lot of suspense and that one's called dead pigs because the people who the perpetrators of this are not like, uh, it's not like death wish. It's not like these thugs off the street. It's like, um, the cops. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. Which is, you know, obviously with the, uh, the, the George Floyd thing happening now and the whole world is finally taking notice. Right. Um, if this is convenient timing, but like this has been an ongoing issue since Trayvon Martin and way sure. be- and way before that. Oh yeah. And I've had that. my, yeah. I, I've had my run-ins with police and they've been, I've, I've probably been way more fortuitous than, um, some African Americans in our country who probably were doing way less sure. as far as like wrong and right and wrong. And so I, you know, I feel tied to that and I wanted, you know, I just, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't like the police. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I made, you know, they're, they're a villain for me in real life. So I made them a villain in the, in the, right. the album. 
And uh, yeah, and so then I, basically all I had to do then was like fill in where I thought the plot should be. And the last right. song I wrote was was oddly enough the title track. And uh, I wrote it like two days before, I think like two or three days before Tommy came down to record bass. So that was the one that he had okay. to learn kind of on the fly, but he did a great job. So I was about to say, it's a pretty quick turnaround from you know sacrifice hunter to now surprisingly especially if you're doing a movie in between it's quite impressive so i wanted to give you your your kudos to that especially if you're going through uh you know uh a lineup change as well too i mean it's 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 quite impressive to me have you have you done the the live performance stuff at all before this or is it something that you're trying to now incorporate with with satanic panic yeah no no we never played live before Okay. So it's, interesting. And and it was actually Bruce's idea to do it. It was like oh. he's like I want to play. He's like I want to play live. And I was like ah, I don't know. And then he's like, like he had, <laughs> he's so he he, his imagination is actually the best the best part of his personality. Like the way like his ideas. He's got good ideas, and he's not like him and I get along. We're we're not enemies or anything i bet we you know we split up i got the dog that's basically what happened <laughs> right yeah and that, and and john from uh uh pina comics is the one that said that and i've adopted that ever since but <laughs> he he was like yeah we should be like running around the stage with like masks on and i was like nah i'm not want to do that because <laughs> <laughs> I, I i like i like minimalism i think the more austere you are i the more sincere you are Right. And um, the thought of running around with masks was like not something that I wanted to do. And that was like, right. you know, that I wouldn't say that that was the point where we started to fall apart, but it was, um, you know, it was in there because it was like, and I, and I feel for him because it was like, you know, I mean, one of the discussions that we had, he's like, you know, I have ideas and you shoot them down. And sure. But it's just what I'm coming, I'm, I'm not. I want to do what I'm comfortable with and I'm barely a musician. So like fucking around with a leather face mask while I'm trying to barely play. It's going to be yeah. really hard. Yeah. I, I, at the best, the best I'm going to be able to do is if I get, if I wear prescription sunglasses, other than that, <laughs> it's not going to be right. a good scene for anybody. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't asking you to be in dead mouse or anything, uh, to have a giant head set up or anything, but, no. You know what's interesting? Your your influences kind of almost speak to more minimalism, yeah. too. I mean, more bare bones, micro budget, you know, stuff that kind of is you. You can be creative with it, but it is you know a lavish stage show. I like I said, I, I'd be more interested, especially because you have such a vision for what the kind of almost what the visual component would be uh, with you know in incorporating it with the the music that you're producing that it's it's almost interesting that either a that's not something that it would be something that's incorporated into the live show or i'm surprised uh, have you reached out to like try to you know have screenplays made from the stuff that you're compo- composing uh you know on your own as like a band versus stuff that you're doing for someone's completed project or is that not something you're actively seeking um, no, it's, I haven't, I haven't reached out for that. Uh, one time I did try to write my own screenplay and I, I gave up like, I don't know, like 20 pages in. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's not an easy thing to do. And you think you have all your ducks in a row and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm, pff, I'm 
fucking Steven Spielberg. And then, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm clearly not, I'm waiting for him to call though. The, uh, the, my no- <laughs> I've, you know, I hope he has, I hope he gets my number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be great, man. I, like I said, I, yeah, I'm a fan. I, I love what you do. I, I'm anxiously awaiting uh, the Dead Girl in Apartment 3 uh, to come out, as well as hearing the full length of, of your new album. But one of the things that we're doing today, uh, obviously, because this is a movie podcast, and you know we could talk about your film compositions all day, uh, but the the reason part of the reason why you're on uh is uh, it's interesting to know your love for Stephen King because oh, that yeah. was a big a big component of what my childhood was too i think like basically the the cross section between the the it uh mini series uh with tim curry being on television and scaring the ever loving shit out of me it's and, better than the movie it's better <laughs> yeah. than the movie yeah and then, uh, and then to actually get, uh, you know, uh, I was around middle school ish or right before then, and then like middle school, all I did was read King. Like every book fair, I looked for the newest King, uh, or if they had back stuff, you know, everything I read was King for like a long stretch of time. Uh, Gerald's Game, uh, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is not one of those. Uh, that was uh, interestingly like right around that time because uh, I guess. That and Dolores Claiborne were written in the same year, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, because uh, they were supposed to kind of be in tandem right. with each other in a in a way. Uh, that uh, that's maybe where I started to, or maybe I missed it somehow. But uh, obviously, Netflix has uh, you know made a few Stephen King films. Larry actually did two of them with me. This is the third one. We haven't uh, gotten to this one yet. Why why of all the horror movies well first uh speak on your love for stephen king because i saw in your blog or whatever that you're actually going through all of the stephen king novels again and is going to do a massive ranking which is an undertaking that no one should have to do but i'm sure it's inspired by pandemic (laughs) uh you know time on your hands or any of that oh you're you're the one that reads my blog (laughs) yes i'm the one (laughs) Uh, (laughs) my research knows no bounds like i said i even know about your podcast which i can't wait to tease you about at the end so (laughs) but uh but speak a little about your your love for king and where that falls with gerald's game trying to think of the first stephen king movie that i saw um, it wasn't The Shining. I was too young for that. I'm looking at the books that I have right now because I can see them from here. Uh, it's probably The Dead Zone or Pet Cemetery, the original one. Dead Zone's one of my favorite adaptations of his. It like I know he doesn't sign off on the the Kubrick Shining. Obviously, that right. would be number one. But like or as Lawn far as <laughs> well, for good reason there, right. I guess. Uh, the graphics on that are still horrendous to go back and watch. But uh, yeah, th- but the the top tier to me are like The Shining mm-hmm. uh, or or The Dead Zone, and then you can go back from there. There's a lot of bad King adaptations out there. Uh, even on Netflix, the three that they have, uh, you know, Gerald's Game is one. Uh, you know, in the tall grass, the, the cut, the yeah, the one they did with him and Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Hill. Hill. Yeah. Is this a, yeah? Uh, and uh, the 
third one is 1922, which I don't know if you watched that. Ad- I liked I liked yet. that one. I thought that one was. I, okay. I like the book I li- a lot better, but I I like that one. I thought it was good. I thought it was good as well. So I'm I'm curious to know your feelings on on Gerald's game because uh, you know when I when I approached you about this, I was like it'd be awesome to have you on as an interview, but you're like, Hey, I'm not going to break your format, man. Let's talk about uh, something here. And then I pitched Gerald's game to you and you're like all about it. You oh yeah. Absolutely. Love it. So, so, so have you read, have you read the novel? I haven't yet. No. Okay. So I love the novel. It's one of my top five King novels. It Interesting. was, it was the first and only book where I was genuinely terrified while I was reading it. Mm. And like what like so when I read American Psycho like I wasn't scared of it but it was my stomach was turning because what they left out of the film yeah. like they there's no way they could have put it in the film it would have made not to strike that same tone you're right well also it would have made cannibal like the stuff that they left out like with the dog and like the way that he uh like you know picked apart the bodies and everything like yeah. it would have been like it would have been banned, man. It would have been like like Cannibal Holocaust oh, God, yeah. or something. It would just would have been. There's no way. And like I think of a movie like, like some of the gorier movies that I've seen is like, what immediately comes to mind is something like like Brawl in Cellblock '99. Sure. Um, and that and, and still American Psycho would have fucking destroyed it. But it was it was just a gross, stomach turning, book, and I don't uh, I, and like I but I loved it. And at the same time, like I, I don't really like Brett Easton Ellis very much. Like I, didn't, I didn't really like any of his other novels. I've read three other ones and I didn't like them. Like right. King, even the bad ones, I kind of, with the exception of Dreamcatcher, uh, <laughs> I kind of still like them in some regard. You're talking about the novelization, like the I, of, I hate of Dreamcatcher because yeah. the movie is trash. The movie is trash and the novel's not very good either. Okay, <laughs> but the, but but Gerald's game, I was so scared that i like turned the lights on in the other rooms that i wasn't oh wow and as far as the film goes i think it's like a flanagan masterpiece okay you're wasting precious time here i can't get out you have to i am chained to the goddamn bed don't recite facts to me wake up says the voice in your head this is you all over problem panic denial hoping if you look away it'll magically vanish if you don't wake up you're gonna die in those handcuffs and we both know you've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old not now if not now when not now what he put you in those handcuffs way before gerald did who's he i think mike flanagan is like i think he's like i I i know i've said this before he's an american treasure like he's the next he he's the next john carpenter to me. Well, because we just did an episode where we were doing Netflix Hidden Gems and we discussed Before I Wake, which is the other Mike Flanagan film yeah. on Netflix. And it's like and, a cute movie and it's also really good. Yeah, it's got heart to it, but it still does have some some spine tingling stuff with his characterizations of uh, the canker man and everything else. So you could definitely see all his influences on display with that one for sure. The this week. one's obviously a little bit different, but it does kind of still have a lot of elements. He, he does have a lot of strong themes with his that, and with a lot of heart, but also trying to, you know, fire you up in certain segments. Well, the Ouija movie that he did was really good. 
I yeah. love I loved Hush. I thought that was excellent. Yeah. Um, and it, did you see Doctor Sleep yet? I haven't, <sighs> uh, because I think uh, Doctor Sleep. The, the I believe the director's cut is now. I was waiting for the director's I, cut because I, I, everyone tells me that it's so much better. So I'm like, okay, it's on HBO uh, Max. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna try to get there now that because uh, I don't know something about my streaming stuff. I came and get HBO Max. They haven't converted over from Go yet. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'll get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mean I've watched Doctor Sleep twice now, and the director's cut is better. Um, but it's, but yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was great and I did, and I liked the book a lot too. So yeah, it worked out. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I love this movie. I love the book. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting that this kind of, this guy, Mike Flanagan comes along and he does like these low budget pictures and he somehow convinces Stephen King to do Gerald's game, which was a movie that nobody thought they could ever do. Right. Because it's, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so it is. difficult to do. And they just, like, they, the the perfect actors are in that movie. Yeah, no, I, and obviously uh, he has an affinity for these actors, too. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it's reciprocal because they keep working together. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've noticed uh, looking deeper into Flanagan's work is that he uses the same people a lot. Um, and And... You know, it seems to be a recurring theme and not just like actors, but, you know, he works with a lot of the same screenwriters, a lot of the same composers, you know, so he up and down the line, uh, he's true. He's the most, you know, (laughs) faithful director I've seen in quite some time, Uh, you know, and obviously a writer director, too, because he writes a lot of the, the things that you see, too, whether it's adapted or original. And, you know, this movie is no different. So, uh (laughs) <laughs> Carla, you know, Carla Guguino, like she's the, the person who everyone's going to talk about because it's basically her movie. Yes. Uh, and, and I, you know, before I got to this film, everyone's like, well, it is her in a slip for like 90 minutes or an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, you know, sure. like, that's, that's a decent sell. Full, it's pretty full, good. Full you disclosure. Know. So sure. my, my freshman year of high school, I saw snake eyes, which she was in. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, and I, have I don't want to say I've been in love with her, but I'm like, yeah, hey, I was like 15 year old kid, and uh, she yeah. was super. I mean, she's obviously she's a beautiful woman. She's a great actress too, but she's she be- she's beautiful, and like I'm like, huh, okay. And now every time I, I see her in a movie, I'm like, huh, okay. And it, I'm, I'm like, I was thrilled to you know that she was going to be a part of this, and then like. Like you were saying before, once Mike Flanagan gets his claws in you, like he likes to cast you in, in projects over and over again. He's casted yeah. Henry Thomas like what three times now. He's cast yeah, because you got he's in that Ouija movie that you said, Doctor Sleep, and he's in Haunting a Hill House. Right. So you know, and, and even Bruce Greenwood, he used him in Doctor Sleep uh, as well too. So and there, he and Bruce Green. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut. No, off, go ahead. But Br- he's like breathing life back into Bruce Greenwood's career because it's been like you know pretty quiet I guess for a long time now for him and yeah, outside of the cameos in the Star Trek films it kind of has been low-key for him for quite some time I mean to me like he, he hit his peak probably I don't know I'm trying to remember what year 13 days came out I want to say it's early 2000s mm-hmm um, so like between that and I robot kind of around that time, yep, you yep. know, he had kind of a moment, but then, yeah, it's been quite some time in between. Also, 
uh, homeboy is fucking ripped too. Like he could oh, definitely yeah. beat the shit out of me. He's like, he's sixty when he when this movie came out. Yeah, there's a considerable age difference between the two of them, which is notable uh, in here as well. But the uh, yeah, if I'm gonna be told that I'm basically gonna be you know shirtless, you know down to my you know boxers for the entirety of a movie, you know I'm gonna get ripped too. I mean, kudos to him for even you know taking it to the next level. But yeah, if somebody told me like, yeah, we're gonna stare at your body for an hour and a half, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna get ripped now. If he wasn't already, kudos to him. He's always been in good shape, but. Yeah, I would take the extra extra layer there too as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing about uh, Carlo Guglielmo, like you mentioned, Snake Eyes as kind of being like an impetus for you as well. The, for me, it's even weirder. I don't know if uh, your age as well, but like back, probably, it, I feel like kind of like Inception with her. Like somewhere, I didn't know who she was when I was watching the early memories I have of her. And then all of a sudden, like, she became, like, a bigger star. And I'm like, wait a second. Why do I know her so well? Mm -hmm. And it's from two things. One, uh, she was in an episode of The Wonder Years that has stuck to me to this day where she played, I don't know if you watched the show, but, like, she played uh, Wayne, uh, you know, Kevin Arnold's brother's uh, girlfriend in it. And they kind of had, like, a love triangle thing where she was kind of, playing off playing with kevin too oh really i don't remember that episode so it's it's a bizarre kind of like love triangle episode and it's interesting like that she was almost too good for him so kevin kind of inserted himself it's very interesting but also the bon jovi always video i totally was in love with like her as like an entity from that video but didn't know who she was and then again like i said she became a big star and i wasn't even like into like you know, Polly Shore enough to watch Son-in-Law. Oh, yeah, I forgot she was in Son-in-Law. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, she kind of just, you know, hit peak again, like, where, like, Spy Kids and Sin City and Watchmen, like, all these kind of, like, cool kind of comic who, book or action Who was she in Sin City? Like, what part, which story was she in? Oh, I forget now. Oh. Um... It's been a long time. Because I, I saw that today because I was trying to think of like other movies that she was in other than Snake Eyes. And I watched that entire season of uh, uh, the roadies thing that she did with uh, one of the Wilson brothers and uh, one guy from Blue Collar Comedy Tour that drinks all the time. Uh, oh, I don't know <laughs> if I saw that. Yeah. But oh no, it was on HBO. It was terrible. But I watched the whole thing because I, I like her. And right. uh, I, you know, if I ever got the chance to meet her, I'd be like, hey. I was the one that watched that show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Sin City, she's not in it long. I feel like she's a part... I think she's a part of the Marv storyline. I don't know why I feel like she's kind of in there. I'll have to look it up again, but she was... It's a very small role, so Watchmen is more the one that, like, sticks out very much so. Or even Spy Kids, because she's, like, the mother in that. It's kind of like a big, you know, deal. Yeah. You know, franchise starter, that kind of stuff. But... You know, like I said, you know, her Bruce Greenwood are terrific as a pair and a very convincing pair here, especially with the dynamic they're supposed to have. And like you said, Flanagan's great at kind of setting the tone, setting the atmosphere for a lot of these uncomfortable films. Mm -hmm. Like Before I Wake, even though it's kind of has a bit more elements of like fantasy and surrealism and, and some of these things that aren't necessarily horror, it's kind of almost like a 
he calls it like a fable, I think, at times. Yeah. Uh, he actually prefers it not called a horror movie. Um, but this movie, you know, definitely is r- straight up the, the what King is best for, where he sets up these small stories, intimate settings, you know, trying to breed larger larger themes out of out of things Mm -hmm. uh you know while setting a small almost stage play like atmosphere which this one definitely feels like a stage play for large sections of the time once especially once uh you know gerald actually you know is you know his initial stage is out of the picture right once once it's more her movie and having sort of her delusions, that's when it really feels like a stage play. Like you can almost see this performed, you know, with all these different elements, uh, her multiple delusions coming in and then the moonlight man later and everything else. You could definitely kind of feel that. Did you feel that at all? Sure. The, one of the things that I was distracted by because I'd, I'd read the novel, uh, prior was, um, so she's talking to herself like a, a a a healthy version of herself as she is deteriorating in that bed and right. in the novel that is not who she's talking to. She doesn't talk to herself. She talks to her college roommate who I think she had like a if I remember it correctly and I could be wrong like a lipstick lesbian fling with. Oh, interesting. Which was an interesting angle uh for the book and and then like I if I remember this correctly and if I am getting it wrong, I, I'm I'm open to criticism. It's fine, but I think what basically happened was they, I think they hooked up and then they like like they weren't into it and she just kind of cut her out of her life. You know what I mean? Just like gave her the silent okay. treatment and then like then she came she came back to her in the, um she came back to her in you know when she was hallucinating and then I don't want to give too much away but the letter that she writes at the end she was yeah. writing it to that college roommate not to her. herself well it's interesting because some of the things that i didn't like about this movie uh some of the things you're saying would almost kind of be a better solution to that sure um so because to me for how much i love king too he is a little notorious especially to his critics but i will say even as a fan he doesn't end things well yeah now he makes i mean he made fun of himself for that in the it movie yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and and it and it persists. Like even with this one here, I hated the kind of epilogue here right. versus like the actual meat of the story. Like you know the 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 issues at hand, the survival aspect, the you know the delusions and everything else. That is King in his strengths. The the actual you know kind of the letter writing, which felt a, a little hacky especially considering that she's doing it. Uh, the o- I, I think I wrote in my notes, the only people who are a- allowed to like write letters to themselves as a younger version of themselves is like college, you know, admissions counselors or like, uh, you know, uh, psychiatrists who tell you to do it as an exercise. Like if you're right. doing it upon your own volition, uh, it seems kind of, hacky i mean it seems like something morrissey would do (laughs) (laughs) he probably does it every day all the time what yeah one of the um thing one of the strengths i thought that this captured and you like you're married too so you'll i think you'll understand it um like okay so the film is obviously you know at least in the beginning it's a lot about like sex and dominance and consent and all that 
stuff, yeah. um, which is topical, obviously, with you know the world uh, that we're living in. But sure. the acting in the scene where she kind of rebuffs him, yeah, and they're having the conversation right before he has his heart attack, is so visceral and real. And anyone who's married has had some parts of that conversation. I'm not talking about the rape yeah. fantasy part. That's neither here nor there. Uh, sure. But, but like, if you've been married a long time, you get to, you know, there's peaks and valleys. And, there, there you yeah. know, there's ups and downs and bumps in the road. And you're just kind of curious. Like, when, you're, when you reach an impasse over, like, I don't know, the dishes. <laughs> uh, right. Like, what's going wrong with this relationship? I've been married for seven years now and I've been with my wife for nine and it yeah, hasn't we just has, celebrated 10 this year con, so I'm con, with you congrats uh, thanks and and, you, um, and I'm sure it hasn't always been perfect there have been some hard months yeah uh, like the last few <laughs> for most people being uh, you know inside trying to all those issues like to come to a head every now and then. if you could survive your marriage through this pandemic you can absolutely go forward pretty healthy and for we, the rest we've of had life. to make adjustments like on yeah. how we you know how we handle our discussions how we you know uh that creating alone time for each other you know what i sure. mean like just yeah. and, and but like you the conversation that they had and the their, the way that they exchanged it back and forth where there was like a bite to their words and like you blame like oh now uh wait she's like i i think she says something like this, I feel ridiculous, right? She's yes, like, oh, I yeah, feel yeah. ridiculous. He's like, great. And he's I'm, like, oh, I'm ridiculous. Right, yeah. and I have fucking done that. <laughs> totally, <laughs> and, yeah. And I know my wife has done that too, so it's very real, and it was, re- and like, so the screenwriting for this, the adaptation for the screenwriting, and the way that the actors interpreted it, they've had those, they've had those moments too, and they brought them to the screen. They they brought them to work with them, and I thought that that was right. really special, and, and it made it really good. Also, like I think Bruce Greenwood may have really had a heart attack because he totally convinced <laughs> me he had one. Yeah, the look on his face is so bizarre. Like it, but but like that's got to be what it is. Like oh man. By the way, weird side note on that, especially considering that scene and how it ended up. Uh, if you I you know it's a beautiful bedroom that they have. It's a gorgeous you know kind of you know house on the lake or whatever some you know getaway home that they have however the use of having it look like tile flooring in your bedroom uh is not going to be good and probably will split your head open i i feared for anyone who is like sleeping in that bedroom and might roll out of bed accidentally and then you're going to be you know dead especially if it's humid you could slip and fall and kill yourself like that's oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah there's no give with a tile for like at least with hardwoods or something, you got a little bit. You could probably you know survive, not get too damaged. Having that kind of heavy tile, yeah, uh, you're gonna die. <laughs> so uh, it was a poor choice on that. So I'm not sure. But a choice that I do want to get back to is uh, how you were saying who she was talking to when she's uh, you know kind of decaying, uh, you know, and and losing her mind. I found it interesting because this movie is a movie about monsters. It's a movie about living representations of monsters. Yeah. And, you know, the Bruce Greenwood, the Gerald version of it, to keep him as kind of like her, one of the, the people she's talking to, I thought was an interesting choice, especially if it wasn't something from the book, considering that I thought it kind of softened him up 
to the audience where if he's supposed to be part of the three-headed monster literally in her life between the father her and the moonlight man then you know talking to him and kind of having him be like this softer side because it's her brain operating it that it kind of sets a different tone to me did you have that feeling at all can, is there some more sympathetic and intimate moments that like make him yes, okay, less, no, yeah, less okay. offensive right. uh, at times? You know, like when he's coming the, out of, uh, you know, having the heart attack and everything and coming into the delusion version. Yeah. Like he does have some more biting things to start. Yeah. Over like the, the C over word the, a bunch the, of times. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, but over the span of the movie and even where it ends, where he kind of gets a goodbye yeah even in her leaving the home it's kind of softening and it's kind of not painting this picture of like oh he had his shackles on you kind of a vibe so it you could kind of go through the film and say oh yeah i could see where that might be but there is a long enough of a resume of what he's saying and painting for her that it kind of makes it less of a monster. Right. And that. well, also some of his reactions to like, like him finding out about like what happened with her father. Yeah. The fact that he doesn't know anything he, that he's in the dark and it totally affects their relationship. Course. Like you almost kind of feel for him a little bit. Too. Right. Because it's you, the look on his face is like pure, like it, it's pure shock. Yeah. Like, Oh my, like I wasn't, we're supposed to tell each other everything. Like, you know, and, but at the same time, like, um, you know, he like the first thing that he references about like the character flaw that he has after right. when, when part of the delusion is the joke that he tells that that made yeah. her angry, and so he kept that side of himself away from her, right? And then, and then, and now, and obviously, she kept that side of herself away from him. So sure. they're they're like in death, they're actually getting to you know, or really right before. For his death because like you know i guess he's not attracted to her unless he's you know fulfilling his rape fantasy or what have you sure which is still a weird thing to me like i don't kink shame anybody but i i i don't know i don't <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's too much <laughs> that's yeah there it's a control thing it, it's it's a lot of people built into their personality people need therapy uh i'm not again trying not to shame because a lot of it you know is inherent in us uh if you had tough tougher childhoods or whatever yeah sure, sure. it's a lot of stuff I, a, I, my wife my wife is a social worker i could probably talk too long about shit like this right, right. Uh, but you know definitely uh you know there's some aspects to that uh, a couple things before we uh wrap this up i i i wanted to know especially your feeling on the music because I found it interesting that you were so into a movie that has very little soundtrack. No, for a almost person none. who has, you know, composed yourself, uh, it's interesting that you know it's like it's Sam Cooke, then a lot of silence, and then you know, kind of picks up towards the end. That's right. So first off, you don't realize this until the end. Uh, or, or do you? Do you do? Do you do spoilers? On we the could show do spoilers no? now. Yeah, as long as I give like a healthy uh, long amount of time and kind of give a heads up. So go for it. She degloves her dominant hand. Why <laughs> would you do that, man? Like, right. You deglove the one you don't have to write a letter to yourself with later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was dumb. Anyway. Yeah. Um, true. I thought that the. I really don't think that 
this is one of those movies where, especially with the flashbacks, you know, with, with when it comes to composition and stuff, you you're using it to create an emotion that may not be sometimes some some people do this uh, you, that may not be readily accessible. It may not be obvious, sure. right? Like if a uh, a girl breaks up with a high school kid. And he on Valentine's Day. You don't need a soundtrack for that. You no. you, you you know how sad that is. But sure. like Flanagan did such a good job in the flashbacks when the the eclipse happens and Henry Thomas is doing something terrible behind his daughter. Yeah. And there's I don't even remember if there's music there because there didn't need to be because he turns red. <laughs> Yeah. And, no, I don't believe so. I don't believe there's music there. And he just tells her to keep looking forward. And yeah. it's like, oh God. <laughs> like and and it's it's a it's a it's a very disturbing scene, but it's but like, you know, Henry Thomas is is fucking fantastic. I was a huge fan of E. T. Yeah, I will say uh real quick that I, I watched this movie twice mm-hmm. and and I will say it does get better on rewatch, which is a good sign of a of a good movie. But what I will say, I will not watch that scene again. I, I, I just can't. I, it's like, yep, noted. I know what he does. I'm not rewatching that shit because, I don't know, there's something in me that I just I, can't yeah, I, know I, when it's coming and everything else. I'm like, I, I, I can't get there. If I... If if we weren't talking about it today, I would not have rewatched. I've only rewatched. This is only the second time I've ever watched. It. Sure. And yeah. but I, I I sat and I watched the whole thing today, and uh, you know I like I like I said I I read the book, so I knew what was gonna happen. Sure. But um, like he's just loving, great dad in the beginning. You know he's yeah. so good at being like a father figure, and then yeah. he just turns, like that part where he's like. You know what? Ah, never mind. Like, I'm just like, oh god. <laughs> like, yeah. Because I just know how. I mean, I mean, that's how people manipulate people. And then the part yeah. in the bedroom where he's trying, to, he's convincing her to be the one that says, "Let's not tell mom." Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. see, like it's. But he was so good at it. Yeah, it's a great manipulation for how uncomfortable and awkward it is for the audience. It is a great manipulation, and. The other thing is on rewatch, the relationship, knowing everything, because they set up everything with the, the the relationship between Gerald and his wife, you know, obviously, and and you don't get why things go awry right before the heart attack, besides what's obvious, what comes out of their mouths. But watching it after you know about, you know, what happened to her as a kid and then knowing the rest of the story and then going back. It's actually that's where it really shows the the goodness in the adaptation mm-hmm. and, and the quality of Flanagan's work because when you hear him like kind of like try to play into a fantasy that he thinks is totally innocent to call her dad like himself daddy mm-hmm. to a woman like that when he doesn't know it's so small in the beginning and you barely catch it and you just think oh it's some weird sex stuff to go yeah, on yeah, yeah. the rest of the weird sex stuff then when you know the rest of the story and you think back, you're like, oh, God. So 
those type of things I definitely recommend for, for rewatch purposes. Another thing for the rewatch purposes is if you're a big Stephen King fan, there's a ton of references to other things, other novels Cujo. of his that are all the way through. Did you appreciate those as being such a big Stephen King fan? Because, like I said, I already brought up the Dolores Claiborne stuff, which that's kind of like the solar eclipse thing, the the simultaneous, like they wrote them. They're kind of uh, a story in tandem. They're very feminist piece uh, pieces of art, you know, so you got that. But then there's also references to like the dark tower in here. There's references. Where's to... the, where's the dark tower one? So, uh, the moonlight man has a treasures that he steals. Yeah, okay. The thing that's yep. hanging around his neck. The skull, I yep. believe is from, the dark tower it looks so, like the one from the on the cover of rose matter as well yeah i, I think that's true okay uh, i don't know if that's tied together but and then yeah, there's the absolutely. obvious cujo reference yeah the obvious cujo reference so there's a bunch of different things in here so I, i'm assuming because we're kind of like going back and forth you picked those picked up on those and well, does that add things for you oh i i i kind of love the easter eggs a little bit i and, and i like it when they're very nonchalant Sure. Um, like the Cujo one is very obvious, but it worked. It it wasn't for. It didn't feel like it was forced into the script. I think he even says it in the book. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, and he does that from time to time. He does references other novels a lot in his. In, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you're a King reader, you know. But sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that stuff. Go, I I gotta go back for one second though, because you uh, one of the th- you were talking about rewatching it before, and like yeah one of the stuff that you noticed, there's a part that I noticed that I didn't notice the first time. And it's actually, it's, it's, it's actually, you got, I credited it to Bruce Greenwood. So there's the one scene where he's doing his monologue on how the bodies are going to be found. Yeah. And it's really amazing because if you watch it, a majority of that scene is single shot. So he, he did that whole monologue in like one take and I'm sure he improvised parts of it, but like, that's a fucking pro. I don't yeah. think I could ever do something like that. That's what separates the real actors from just people in movies. Like that 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 was an immense amount of talent. I was so impressed with that. And I did not and I I'm usually pretty good at like picking up the single shot stuff and I right. didn't I I don't I definitely didn't notice that the first time and I noticed it today and I was, and I was like completely amazed. And not only did he do that, not it's not just him like delivering a speech. He is like laying on the bed next to her, getting cuddled up with her, yeah. like looking into her eyes, reacting to her. I think he he dusts something off of her at one point, like he touches her, and it's yeah. like, oh wow, like he is really this character now. Like he's yeah. not he's not even the character; he's an abstraction of his character. Right, and it's so incredible. He's so incredible in that. It, it was amazing. Yeah, so. I kind of want to get into the Moonlight Man just a little bit too before we uh, wrap this up. Terrifying. Terrifying. He is terrifying. I think he's the best part of it for me, to be honest, the whole thing. I don't know if it's because I needed a good scare to kind of break up what this story was, and I Mm -hmm. think it's a good device for that. Part of that epilogue ending, and I understand the need to kind of like bring monsters into the daylight i think they almost say some version of that in the script Mm -hmm. uh you know kind of just you know needing to the sun needs to come out yeah uh, you know because of all the eclipse stuff so they you know (laughs) it's 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 great and i feel bad for the guy who is 
Lurch. Uh, I know him only as Lurch, you know, like besides, you know, he was in Twin Peaks uh, and some other things as he, well. He was in but, Dr. Sleep. Oh, interesting. Cause, yep. Again, right, because yep. I haven't seen it yet. So, but yeah, at, and also adds to the Flanagan effect of right. like he reuses people and knows how to use people. So that's interesting. But, you know, I, that that epilogue is so bad because he, he holds such, and again, I get the use of it, but be, he cut, ah, because he, He's so good at being so scary and manipulative and weird and everything else, but just that kind of like reciting her lines back to her and her giving some kind of like sassy, almost women's deodorant commercial version of feminism to <laughs> Maybe her. she's born with it. <laughs> <laughs> like for her to just go, oh, you were bigger before. Like I didn't realize you were so small or whatever she said. It's like, it's so hacky that I just couldn't stand it. But like I said, the, the atmosphere and the, and the suspense and the intrigue for most of the movie is really good. He, and, I, I think in the book, he just, he's in the shackles and or or something and he and he puts his like i again it's been a while since i read it but i think he just puts his arms out and he just says you're not real and like you know pretending to be her and it was like ah like that wasn't like (laughs) he was so scared like plus the look of the of the court itself almost felt dreamlike it felt very fake and state like it didn't feel as real as maybe it could or like they set the stage because they light her very you know they give her a spotlight yeah Yeah, yeah. they give her that whole thing and i I was just like it's all too much if you want this kind of like confrontation it doesn't feel like staged and it it felt fake to me like that's why i wanted if you're gonna try to make it you're facing someone and being this re like bringing it into reality make it more real because this feels dreamlike so that that's where i kind of like part of the epilogue stuff that really I felt like this didn't end well and it added to my king doesn't end shit well story so when the guy turned out to be exactly what I envisioned him in the book yeah but I thought that's when, cool. when I my first thought was like oh they're gonna make a Gerald's game uh, when I'd heard about it I wonder who's gonna play him and I my first thought was like oh because I, I i didn't really know too much about him sure um but he has the exact same disease they discuss so if it's right. out of the book that way that's interesting i thought they were gonna get that guy from uh the devil's rejects the guy who plays oh, tiny okay. yeah yeah and which would have pro- he would have been fine too like he you know sure. he's, he, i think he has the, he has a similar condition mm. um and i was like oh okay well that would make sense because he's terrifying <laughs> Um, especially in in those movies and the, like the part where he's licking her feet, it it haunted me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Such a great, he was so like when I remember reading the book, sitting in my office and reading the book and like, they're just like you know she's looking into the shadows and she thinks she sees something and i remember that like as a kid like yeah. the shadows playing tricks on you like kind of like and then like like poltergeist always kind of reminded me of that oh yeah sure. you know um and then even in the book like so in, in the book you know that her husband is dead but he's talking to her and you know her friend she hasn't spoken to in a while but she's talking to her right but you are 
not when you first see the Moonlight Man, or when when the Moonlight Man gets first mentioned, you don't know it, what it is. Yeah, and then right. the more it happens, because it's I think it's over like the court like the the movies over the course of basically two nights. Yeah, I think the book is like three. Okay, and yeah. so like he comes back, like he comes back several times and just like fucks with her and you know whatever, and. Oh man, and he was exactly what I envisioned. And the part where he steps out of the shadows and you see him for the first time, menacing, menacing. And that's the thing. Like, I think in the book, again, I, I could be wrong because it's been a while. But they, like, he doesn't open up the chest with the bones in it the first time. He just right. steps out of the shadows just enough for her to see him, and then he goes back. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that's even fucking scarier, man. Yeah, that's way worse. <laughs> oh. But yeah, yeah he, was, he was so good. Uh, and and, and it, I mean, at the end where he breaks the, the restraints or whatever, it was like, that was kind of cool. The sassy part, I agree with you, was a little weird. I, I yeah, a little contrived. That. And then, like, uh, she walks off, yeah. like. Yeah, like puts her sunglasses on. Puts her sunglasses on. Women's deodorant commercial. It was perfect. <laughs> it's absolutely what it was. It, you know, because it's, it's so glossy. It's so different from the rest of the movie. I just was hoping for something a little more grounded, I guess, for the ending. Uh, and, and like you said, if, if she's writing to someone else, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a different experience versus kind of just writing to yourself to, to get through something that's mm-hmm. a little bit of a different feel. So... Uh, you know, some of the decisions they made maybe weren't the best, but I, overall, I think it's 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 a good film, and like I said, it's better on rewatch. And if you can make it through some of the tough sit parts of this, I, like the like I said, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not rewatching that yeah scene over and over. And Henry Thomas does a great job, like you said, but yikes um, to to have to go through that. And I and they sit with it a while. A lot of people would have cut away more. Or earlier, because you could get the idea. But you know, because if the if they paint later that the real travesty of the whole thing is the conversation afterwards and how he kind of slanted it moving forward, well, then we don't need to hang so long <laughs> when we're back at the eclipse. So, well, you know. I think the part, and I was, and I, I literally only thought of this now. So that movie is like an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, if you had the college roommate in there, you're talking about adding at least another more, 30 yeah. minutes because you totally. have to do the backstory for that too. To, yeah, order... it makes sense for that for sure. So that that makes a lot a, a lot more sense because I think it's an easier sell. Yeah. To Netflix in particular than Well, to uh, me, I just didn't think she needed to write the letter. I I, I think she could have you easily could have seen her, you know, have a few scenes, you come out of what she went through, you see in kind of a montage of her signing papers, you see a montage of her telling her story, you know, in her new thing she set up, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't need the voiceover, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and then maybe she reads about him in the paper, and then kind of like she's sitting and hearing the testimony, and then more organically maybe gets up and confronts, and then end the fucking movie. So, like, if you're going to make uh, choices like that, you know, make a- in the adaptation process, to me, I think the, the epilogue could have been cleaned up and shortened and the, been it, more succinct the to her epi- story. The epilogue, I think, makes it, like, the gives it that real essence of Stephen King because, as you, as you know, a lot of his 
book, a lot of his novels end in that sort of way. All the time. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Misery ends that way. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty certain. I mean, Carrie ends that way. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot. I, I mean, and to some degree, fucking uh, Doctor Sleep does as well. But um, so that kind of gave it its essence. It also gave it like, oh, I, I don't want it to sound like in a bad. I don't, I don't want it to say that, sound negative, but like it made it feel like an, a lifetime movie at the end. <laughs> yes, because yeah. because and and the thing is, and I like excitedly watched a lifetime Stephen King adaptation because they did Big Driver, and I watched. Oh, interesting! It. I never knew they did that. Oh yeah, that. they they did it, and it's uh, Maria Bello is the main. Oh, I love her. I love her too. She's fantastic. Yeah, and it was it. And what's her name? Joan Jett. Yeah, a history of violence. Oh fucking God, jo- so uh, fucking Joan. Oh yeah, she's amazing in that. Yeah. Um, Joan Jett is in that movie too. Oh, wow, and it is awesome. Very. I mean, so and I've and I've read that short story, and it is. It makes perfect sense that Lifetime would go ahead in there and grab and snatch that up because that is their yeah. bread and butter. You know what I mean? Like they they make movies like that, and it's yeah, and it's it was perfect for them, and I thought that they did a fantastic job. I don't even know if they did it; they may have filmed it and then, you know, bought it. You know, like like Netflix. Sure. Stuff. But yeah, yeah. but still, this felt like that too. It but it didn't feel like that from the beginning. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it, I what at the end the the specifically the epilogue felt like that, but the yeah. rest of the movie didn't. Whereas Big Driver felt like that type of movie the whole way through and i liked big driver i'm not putting it down it was good it was very faithful to the adaptation yeah but it is what it is interesting well i appreciate you all your depth of knowledge with that is it makes this so much more fun so i appreciate you talking to me about the film as well as uh your career uh tell the people where they can find everything obviously you got the new album coming out you got you know your back catalog i i was lucky enough to follow you on social media and catch all like the band camp sales and things like that that i was able to acquire most of your discography from that i believe so you know tell the people where they can find uh what you're currently doing and how they can definitely catch up with uh, the new album so um you can go to satanic panic 81.bandcamp.com uh, or satanicpanic81.com and uh but they're both on sale there uh or it's on sale at both those places it marrow will be out on october 2nd it'll be available on uh limited edition pink vinyl uh cassette lavender cassette or lilac lilac or lavender i don't really remember (laughs) it's beautiful i I actually have the i have the cassettes in my possession right now i'm just waiting on the vinyl and awesome. also available on CD. Uh, I wasn't aware until a few years ago that people actually still bought CDs, but they do, and it's yeah. and I appreciate it. Um, I got some posters for sale for the new album. Also, the Sacrifice Hunter, uh, the second pressing of that is also available still, and uh, that's on CD and cassette as well. There's some other things in there. Some pat. I, there's some patches that I have for sale. Some buttons, stickers. Um, and there's a, uh, like a demo version of the song composite that is not the same version as the one on the album. It's re-recorded. I re-recorded it for the album, but there is a demo nice. cassette of composite. So that's about Very it. Very cool. 
Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I love talking about Stephen King. So, uh, Yeah, no, this was a good time, man. And, uh, of course, you got to tell the people where they can find your New York Knicks fandom uh, full-up <laughs> display. Uh, I your forgot you were going to bust that. my balls about this. Yeah, yes. yeah, cause, uh, especially because tell the people the title because they'll instantly go, yeah. Especially uh, people in this area. I know a lot of people, uh, especially since I switched to Captivate for some reason, I have a lot of listeners in brooklyn so they will love to hear uh what you have going on in that regard the uh, the name of the show is called long suffering <laughs> yes which is a very common term when i listen to sports talk radio like the fan or something and yeah. people are talking it's like oh, i'm a long suffering knicks fan uh you know <laughs> been a fan since the 80s nothing's happened you know that kind of story happens all the time which by the way full disclosure i am wearing a mets hat uh so i feel your pain in some i'm regard. a mets fan i'm a mets fan too yeah uh, so yeah. we get we get swap stories uh you know uh the nba i'm a cur- I will say this is going to sound bad, like I'm a Fairweather fan, but um, the way I grew up was I was a big Michael Jordan fan, Mm -hmm. so I followed the Bulls, but my brother was a big Larry Bird fan, so I also followed the Celtics. Mm -hmm. And then when Jordan left the league, I stopped watching the NBA for a while, and when I came back, I started watching the Celtics, and now I'm a Celtics fan. So do, Do you. That's all good. Yeah, um, I, I I hate. Pe- I know everybody is so strong. Like fuck you, you fair weather, you bandwagon piece ye- of shit. Because like I got back into the league because I love Ray Allen. Because we're from you, you know, Connecticut. UConn yeah. is my my beloved UConn Huskies for for that time period, especially. And Ray Allen's one of my favorite players. Mm-hmm. So when he was on the Celtics, I was like, yes. And so, and then of course they win a championship. So I look like a bandwagon person. But anyway, go ahead, sir. Uh, yeah, I've been in my my father was a. My father was like he's dead. He's alive. Uh, <laughs> my father's a huge Knicks fan. Like growing up uh, in the '80s, the Knicks were the '80s and the '90s. The Knicks were must see TV. Even though they didn't of win course. a championship during that time, we had you know Patrick Ewing and stuff. And Patrick Ewing is still my favorite basketball player ever. Yeah. Um, and I am like so I like sports, but I really love basketball, and I think I love it because I am terrible at it. I'm very very bad. <laughs> uh, I didn't make my I didn't make my grade school team, and I never attempted to try ever again. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I don't know. It, I, I I got I kind of like drifted in. I for a long time, and this is going back many years. Like I was like way into football, and then yeah. I just I have gotten so tired of football that I. I, I just can't even watch it anymore. And I watch the Mets, you know, when I can, or I listen to them. I actually prefer to listen to them on the radio. I know, me too. Um, I'm. A, I love my team. Howie Rose is the best. Howie Rose is amazing, and I love uh, I love the New Jersey Devils. I grew up a Devils fan, and uh, yeah, so I just I uh, about a year or so ago, I joined a Knicks Facebook group, and I was like, you know, watching the games this season, and they were just fucking terrible, and I just got yeah. sucked. Back into the job because I, I mean, I, I, I was, I was watching them. You know, I've been watching them for a long time, and sometimes I just started to tune out toward the end of the season because I'm like, God, oh, we're out of it anyway. But sure. I would like, yeah. You know, stick around and watch the playoffs and all that shit. And uh, I've been watching some of the restart games. They're not. I mean, they're fun to watch now because you they can get some really wild. I just angles, posted, yeah. yeah, I was watching. I, I posted about this on Twitter before. They get some great angles. It feels like a video game. I was watching the Memphis yes. and New Orleans game before we started recording today, and mainly because I, I want, I like Ja Morant, and I want him to win Rookie of the Year. Totally, he and should. I, I also, 
I don't wish anything bad on Zion. I just want to be right on Zion because I don't think he's going to have a long career. I think he's going to be get. I think he's too big, and I think he's going to get injured and stay injured because it's just going to take a long. Uh, he's still young, so he can heal quick. But his yeah. injuries are going to compound because of just how big he is. I mean, I had Larry Johnson on my team, so I know what that's sure, like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's I'm built just, a little like him. He's it's weird. He's got this incredible athleticism with a body that looks almost like Anthony fullback. Mason jacked. <laughs> you know, it's like fullback. wild, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's still like yeah, I hear a lot of talk about like oh the league is unwatchable. L- l- listen, NBA no. is the fastest growing league in out of all of the major sports. It I'm is, sorry, it's going From- worldwide now. From the start of the the Warriors dynasty, this league took off. The talent here is so good. As a person who's watched since, you know, whatever anyone wants to call their fucking golden age, when I watch from, like, you know, Magic Johnson and Bird going back to back, you know, all the time, like, basically the whole 80s and into the 90s, like, that, that was my heyday to watch basketball. And I still think this might be way better than that. The only difference is obviously the style of play, but... I love threes. I don't give a shit. I'll watch that all day. Well, so uh, yeah, I can't when, watch like the Rockets or something. Their ISO ball drives me crazy. But like, they're they're tough. They're a tough watch. Uh, yeah, Golden the State. The Warriors are great. Golden State is a fun watch, but it's not fun watching play. And I was watching it in the Memphis game today, where they're chucking up threes with yeah. 17 seconds left on the shot clock, and the floor completely spreads. So they could run the yeah. ball in. And yeah. like make it and, and drive at the hoop, and they don't do it. And I don't, I think that they, they take threes too much, and it's some, and everybody's shooting percentage is going to go down. Sure. I, I, as a result of that, which means their paychecks are going to go down. <laughs> and <laughs> it will, and, but that's, that's the market naturally affecting the style of play, which I'm okay with. So if I have to put up with like, uh, and and like the Steph Curry's of the world, they are one in a million. Yeah. And I think that 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 it's fantastic that he's won in a style that was not part of what there's not a huge part of the game, and he can hit that he can hit it from anywhere. Inside. He can hit it from half court. Right. He's amazing. Yeah. He's so good, and it's and and I can't wait for him to come back. I also can't wait for Kevin Durant to come back and not be as good as he was because that's what <laughs> I think. I think yeah. he's done, baby. And Kyrie is horrible, baby. He's fl- I, hate I hate Kyrie. I hate Kyrie Irving. He's he's cancer. He's he's he, cancerous. He ruined my Celtics, and I wish nothing but bad things for the Nets for that. Uh, oh no! That I'm so time. happy that they. I, I'm so happy <laughs> that they signed him, and I'm so happy because I can't wait to see what happens to like because Spencer Dinwiddie talks a ton of shit. And I cannot <laughs> yeah. wait. I can't wait until those guys come back and he doesn't jive with them. And then Spencer Dinwiddie has to put on a fucking Knicks uniform and get booed <laughs> by the home crowd. Because that's what's going to yeah. happen. It's probably so- true. Well, <laughs> we could do this all night. But thank you so much for doing this, man. I, I hope everybody goes out and gets your new album. I will definitely be right there getting it myself. Uh, and, you know, obviously I can't wait for Curtis's new film as well. Hopefully that comes out sooner rather than later as well. So thanks again for doing it, man. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I had such a great time. 